Thanks for downloading this podcast from Brum Radio. For more programs, search our podcast page at brumradio.com. Now heard across the planet, Micro Machines World Series. So like, what's new, Scooby-Doo? <laughs> Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Go, Chetters. This is the voice of Grandmaster Glitch. I'll catch you no jitters. The coolest guy in the world. Johnny Bravo. Oh, mama. Man, I'm pretty. Danger Mouse. Ah, Danger Mouse. Crikey, Chief. The Lingo Show. Hop diddly doo. The voice of Martha Builder in the USA. Can we fix it? Yes, we can. This is F1 2016. The voice of good and evil in black and white. This game was huge. The Royal Variety Performance. Chop socket, chooks. Wow, no way. Rory the Racing Car. Fifi and the Flower Touch. <laughs> Star Wars Working alongside George Lucas The voice of Axmo The Congress of Malastair concur with the right honourable delegate from the Trade Federation A commission must be appointed That is the law Heard across the planet When the good guys need a voice They call Mark Silk I'm scared. I am actually scared. This is Blake from the Screen Brum Show here live from Birmingham here on Brum Radio. The Screen Brum Show is a show here where we talk about everything with a screen, which, as you all know, is pretty much everything these days. Your toaster probably has one. And you heard a number of voices there. It's because we've got a rather packed studio today. Uh, A lot of people rammed in here. Uh, All of those voices you heard, all coming from, believe it or not, the same larynx. Is that the right order? Larynx. I feel so special. <laughs> yes. um, that is Mr. Mark Silk. Hello, how are you doing? Hello, Mark. Thank you so much for coming in. Um, and our listeners will have recognised some of those voices. You are a, a well, what's it, a vocal wizard? Vocal wizard. <laughs> Isn't that super duper? I'm trying to come up with the... <laughs> what what, what are you? I'm, I think vocal wizard sounds very exciting. I like vocal. I'm, I'm going to go with vocal wizard. I... I uh, <laughs> Officially voice actor, but vocal wizard is the new thing. I'm going to get all new business cards printed. Yeah, I think that is, yeah, definitely what you should. And you are a wizard. We heard some absolutely miraculous sounds there. I want to know, first of all, Mark. That's um, me, Blake. Whatever you need to know. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I want to know. Uh, well, actually, no. I want to know what. Don't the, be oh, nervous, Blake. Just say what's on your mind. This is this is going to be a long, a long show. Well, I hope so. um, we've got. Um, is my microphone even on? Um, hang on a minute. I'll make sure I'm it isn't. A huge fan of Fisher Price. <laughs> we have uh, listeners. We do have listeners. Oh my word! <laughs> uh, listeners, if you have questions, Mark Silk has been, as you heard there, he is the voice of Bob the Builder in the USA. Hi, Bob the Builder here. Can we fix it? Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get producer Paul and we'll find out. We've also, you're also the voice of uh, Shaggy and Scooby. Oh, man, it's really creepy, Scoob. All right, Scoob. 
<laughs> I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. Um, various other characters. Star Wars. Is this microphone even plugged in? Oh, my goodness. If you kept the receipt, you can get a full refund if you take it back within 30 days. You'll be fine, Blake. Anyone out there still <laughs> listening? Um, I was just going to say, what we're going to say is, you're, you're an expert on pre- prepared voices. You can act all these things. But best. how good are you at improvising? So what, what we want our listeners to do is, if you would like, Mark, to create a voice live on air... So if you if you if you want if you've got an angry mother-in-law, a Geordie mother-in-law with a a, 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 a grudge, um, and then go on do 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 Geordie mother-in-law with a grudge. Show us your show us your chops. Well, like, we, I, can anyone even hear it like that? It would be. I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. That, that, it would be like a so like a, a Geordie mother-in-law would be a bloke like that, and then. It's turning slightly Welsh like that, Mr. My Love. And then, oh, the hills and the mountains and sheep and fabulous, and I don't know where I am now. I think I might resign immediately. Okay. Well, let's see. I've managed to defeat uh, vocal wizard Mark uh, Silk on that one. But uh, didn't do take long, did it? <laughs> if you would like to, to get in touch, have any questions for Mark? What it's like to, to hang out with George Lucas? I can tell you, it was really cool. George Lucas strikes me as someone who has more time for CGI characters than, than real actors. So, I, well, he, He's a huge fan of technology, but yeah. he also um, he does like his practical effects as well. He's uh, also a damn fine storyteller. And, and you were you are Axmo in The Phantom Menace. Yes. That's one of the, the aliens with... Episode one. You will see Axmo uh, in the Senate scene of, of episode one of Star Wars. And he, it's like the parliamentary scene where you see a load of characters on these on these sort of pods, pods. making speeches. Yeah. In fact, if you look very closely, you'll see a whole bunch of ETs. Yes, ETs as a are in bit it. Of hidden treasure. But um, Axmo is a handsome chap. He has a goat's head uh, with three eyes and fairly dry skin, and uh, desperate need for moisturizer. And you'll hear him. It, it's quite a pivotal speech that he says in, in the middle of this film. But you'll. At one point, you'll hear him say, The Congress of Malastair concur with the right honourable delegate from the Trade Federation. A commission must be appointed now. Give me a mince pie. <laughs> Speaking it, exact of the quote. goat-headed creatures with uh, dry skin, um, should mention the other person in the studio here, uh, Tim Wilson. How you doing? I feel like I've not brought enough moisturiser to the room today. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I, think, uh, I think you're going to do just fine, Tim. So Tim is going. going to be... Um, we are Unfortunately, we are without our regular producer, Lucy. Lucy is unwell. So Tim is going to be manning the um, Twitter... Uh, which is at Screen Brum. So if you have any questions for Mark, do tweet us at Screen Brum, or you can email us info at screenbrum.co.uk. And a message, please, for Lucy. Uh, if you're listening, um, we hope that you are feeling better and that you'll be better soon. And please stay away. Keep your jobs to yourself until you're fine. <laughs> There we are. That was uh, that was the voice of vocal wizard Mark Silk, not our own. So a trained so, medical specialist. So Mark, um, a voice actor is is it a different thing to an actor? Actor? Yeah. I mean, in, in the end, it's still it's acting, but it's a very different technique. So if you're a, a screen actor or if you're on stage, you have all the physical sides of your arms and expressions in your face that you can do to express what the character is Mm. doing, thinking, you know, running, it's pretty... If if your character is running, it's pretty clear what you'll be doing as an actor if your character is running. Well, 
with a voice actor, you have to convey all those senses of drama or excitement or fun purely with your voice. And the people that are really good at it, you completely believe that character. The people that, that aren't as, you know, that it's maybe not as... There are some people that are better than, than others. Same with mm. any, anything creative. And it's the difference between sometimes you'll hear something and it sounds like a person doing a voice. But the people who are really good at it, people who are my heroes, you, it's, you're hearing that character. Mm. You totally believe it. And it doesn't matter whether it's you know, a talking rabbit or a piece of furniture speaking to you. Or, or someone that's meant to be steeped in reality, like a character from Thunderbirds or anything like that, you believe those characters. You know, when I, 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 I grew up watching all the repeats of the classic Warner Brothers cartoons and Hanna-Barbera cartoons and Thunderbirds, and you totally buy it. It doesn't matter how uh, crazy they are or how dramatic they are. You watch, the, you watch Thunderbirds, the original 1965 episodes now that I was watching as repeats when I was a kid, they're still cool. And um, that kind of tr- what they were doing there was a trend that they were doing then, which is very sort of natural voices. Very good. Five, four, three, two. It was Thunderbirds. Heart. It, it was a really kind of regular guy voice, but with real drama. Hmm. And um, I'm a huge fan of, of the original Thunderbirds, and I'm lucky enough to work on the new series of Thunderbirds, which is called Thunderbirds. I'll go. I play Captain Rigby, a completely cool guy who has the coolest hair in television. And it's a, it's a, real, it's a real thrill for me to work on that show because yeah. apart from, you know, you're part of something that you grew up loving, it, to, be in, to be in the room with, with David Graham is an th- absolute pr- bit of treasure for me because David Graham is the voice of Parker and he was the original voice of Parker in, in the mid-60s and he's still performing Parker now and he's in, his, he's in his 90s. Wow. But just to be in the room, you know, forget work. Forget even whether I'm in it or not, just to be in the room and watch him work. There's a lot of projects that I'm involved with where it is kind of like that. Sometimes you just want to be in the room uh, and um, you, you just you completely buy it. And, and there, there was, there's a trend that started. Well, there's, there's so many different ways you can tell a story, whether it's art or music or whatever it is. And back in the, back in the 40s, when Warner Brothers were really kicking it up and doing something special, you had the king of, of character voices, Mel Blanc, who was Warner Brothers' main go-to guy. He did kind of, he, well, not everything, but as close to everything as you can possibly He's the, the man of a thousand voices, isn't it? That is what they called him, yeah. yeah. And Mel Blanc was the voice of, Say your prayers, you lop-eared varmint, or I'll blast you to smithereenies! He was the voice of Fuffrum Fuckatash. You are despicable. Mel Blanc was the voice of What's up, Doc? Are you looking for a wabbit? He was the voice of I do I do a pretty tad. He was the voice of You bet you throw a pretty tad. That pretty tad of me. Mel Blanc was the voice of A Detroit Fruit. Come on, Betty, let's go. <laughs> He's the voice of so many characters. And um they were all completely different characters. Uh, I mean, I, you know, and he came, he came from radio, but what he tended to do was much larger-than-life character voices. Um, and then you get the other side to that, which is things like, well, even more extreme, which is, um, you know, these are all... Yeah, I mean, th- these were Warner Brothers' classic characters. Then you've got people like Don Messick. And again, these are names that most people wouldn't know. Uh, but Don Messick is... Um, he is was an incredible voice actor. He also came from radio, and Don Messick was the original voice of Scooby-Doo. So Scooby-Doo started in 1969 
way before, you know, I wasn't live then, but Don Messick was the, I, mean, I, remember, I remember watching, um, I think in the 80s, uh, an episode of Blue Peter. And they said, uh, next, this is our next guest and he has a very unusual job. And there's this guy with a sweater just sat there. And he go, tell him what you do, Don. He went, well, I'm the voice of Scooby-Dooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah. And I remember my jaw just hitting my, my knees. You know, going, you kidding me? And, you know, to see that, oh, my God, that's the guy. And he was also the voice of Muttley. You know, the, you know that. I can't it's do it. a hundred woodbines a day habit for that. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, he was a smoker. So um, he... He had the incredible raspy laugh. In fact, I met him uh, just when I was starting out. I was a real newbie. I was working in radio. I wasn't doing voice acting then. Uh, and I met him just as a treat because I, I totally admired his work. And then people like uh, Doris Butler. He was the voice of uh, Huckleberry Hound. And uh, don't me to scare. It's just me, your favorite bear. Yay. <laughs> and I've got this great bit of video from a documentary called... Dawes Butler, voice magician. It must be on YouTube. And you see Dawes Butler as this like tiny little man, uh, older gentleman, and Don Messick sat next to each other. And Dawes Butler goes, Jeepaboo, I don't tell Ranger Smith about the picnic basket. And, uh, and he goes, Okay, Yogi. And, and they're having this conversation like back and forward. And it's just, it's just treasure. I, I, for the listeners at home, I feel you're missing out slightly on the experience <laughs> that I'm having here because hearing all of these voices emerging from the same face is quite a weird thing. <laughs> I have to say, it is. I'm feeling slightly, uh, slightly discomforted, but it's fantastic. Thank you, Mark. Where did all this come from, Mark? When, when did you, when did you know that you were? This was your thing. This was your talent. This was your. Uh... It's funny. I think as as anyone that's creative listening to this will know. You kind of grow up just loving that kind of form of creativity. And so I always knew that I loved it and, and admired, hugely admired, the, the people that were part of that kind of work. You know, people like Jim Henson, the guy that created the Muppets, Robin Williams, Kenny Everett, you know, brilliant radio and TV guy, right back to all these things. And so I always knew that I, I admired them. And bit by bit, because I'd always been musical, I'd, I'd always got a good musical ear. I think I always knew I could kind of do it, even though I'd never done it. And then I did a course at school, uh, the last two years of school, um, that involved performance. It was basically a media course. I nearly didn't take it because I was kind of shy at school and I didn't want to be... I find that hard to believe. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, but seriously, you know, I was just a teenager, you know, finding his way in the world at school. And I, need, I wanted to be the button guy. I wanted to be, you know, sat where you are in front of a mixing desk and a microphone. And I wanted to edit and produce and direct and write and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was made to do a radio show as part of this course. And it terrified me. And I did it. And it was like falling in the pool and realizing you can swim really well. <laughs> and it, it changed everything for me because it's everything that I loved. It was comedy. It was creativity. It was writing. It was um, it was performance, even though I'd never really done that. It, it, it kind of it, I think the thing that was the real turning point for me was this thing at school. And so that radio show gave me the confidence to, to try stuff out. And it's, it's this thing that evolved over time. I taught myself how to do it. I have I've never been to an acting class. I have no technical, no, uh, I have no technical, official formal technical qualifications. 
but I run and have built a, you know, a very nice production studio. Um, I work on some decent shows and films and games. Uh, and it's one of these things that I think if you, uh, you look at people that you really admire in music or it might be film or art, a lot of the people that you think highly of might not have ever taken a music lesson. Or never taken, never gone to a, a, a painting class. Hmm. They just sat down there and had a go. And so often the people that are in that position have found a different way of doing it. You know, I think there's, there's such value, there is real value in, in having um, ideas talked to you in a formal way so that there's a structure to how you work. But there's also quite a lot to be said for someone finding a different way just by having a go and playing and, and nurturing their own skills. And when I started out, I, I did work experience at BRMB Radio in Birmingham before, it, you know, back in the um, uh, early 90s, early, late 80s, mid 40s. <laughs> and uh, back in 1842, I, I did work experience there. I was filing vinyl away in the record library. And because I was still kind of like a shy teenager, I didn't like, I wasn't confident phoning people I didn't know, right? And on the Friday at BRMB, you had to, as, as a work experience kid, you had to phone all the different record companies to order new bits of vinyl that had been scratched. Well, I didn't feel confident enough to do that, so I would go and find a production studio, sit in there, and watch, watch people make stuff. And I learned so much from watching... Uh, the voiceovers that came in and the producer that came in. I just, I loved it. And that's, that's what I wanted to do. And so, um, and then I became a producer at BRMB and I was making promos and, you know, jingles and comedy sketches and things there. And around that time, it was clear that I just wanted to learn more on my own time. And so uh, I invested in, in buying the most basic of kits that you could back then to learn how to do it at home and to be able to make things at home at my mum or dad's house, you know, in the dining room. It was the dining studio, you know, basically a, a, a small little mixer and a, a good little mic and a DAT machine, a digital audio tape machine. And it was the absolute basics that you could get to be able to do broadcast grade work. And, um, and it was great because it, it let me it let me teach myself how to get better. It taught me to learn how to do it. You know, the first time you pick up a guitar or have a go on the piano, you might be able to do something, but it takes you some time. And again, do you, do you play a musical instrument? No, but uh, Mr. Tim Wilson is a Tim, professional. Tim, Tim, has, Tim is a professional bongo player and is quite remarkable. I, Not, hit, things out, I hit things made of wood for, <laughs> for fun. No, no, Tim, yes. Tim, Tim, Tim knows his stuff musically. But there, there is that thing where it takes you time to just get good at what you do. And um, you've got to find a way of doing that. Well, if it's a guitar or drums or whatever it is, you can kind of do that in your garage. Uh, but if it's voiceovers... To a point you can do that, or voice acting, to a point you can do that, you know, in a room by yourself. But you need, you need to learn how to use a microphone, you know, basic microphone technique. So if I was doing the, something that was very cinematic for a trailer, you'd use the mic to, to say, I would get close to the microphone. And you, you would go, get ready for action and adventure. Blake Woodham is from radio. You know him. You love him. You can't live without him. Here he is, a man with all his own teeth, Blake Thingy. That. And so, you know, you, you, you use the mic to make it sound completely cinematic. 
now. Can I ever go? No, it doesn't work for me. It's, it's fine. But, but then if you use the mic, you, 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 if you were doing something more characterful, you can back up the mic and you say, what the hell are you looking at? Really? Are you serious, you weasel, ratbag, numbskull? You know, and, and it sounds more like you're actually uh, hearing something that's kind of off the street. Like you're, over listen, you're listening to an actual conversation. Larry? Mm. Did you bring that bag? What bag? The bag you said you would bring. I ain't see no bag. I told you to bring the bag, Larry. You know, and, and you can even just by using these two different sounding character voices, plus how you use a microphone, you can build up a whole scene. You know, with animation, I'll sometimes be doing, you know, quite often multiple characters. Uh, and you can find yourself doing whole, you know, a whole scene with yourself. Yeah. And it, it's cool, but but any, anyone that wants to do anything creative, the, the best thing that anyone can do is get good at it. You know, get good. You know, I, I've, I've had that. You know, Tim's nodding his head here. It's exactly that. But I, I've had people say, well, I, I, you know, I want to become a voice actor. Uh, um, uh, I know I need a showreel. Uh, any, are there any tips that you would say? I say, yeah. You know, f- I mean, first of all, this applies to anything creative. The best way to get into a creative industry is be creative. There's no one route. Mm. You, you, you'll, you'll meet people. You'll try something yourself. You'll, you'll put something out there. It might not work. You try again. But you, you get creative with how you do it. But then in terms of how do I become a whatever it might be creatively, you get good at it by practicing and then listening. Being a good self-critic is really helpful too. To listen back to your own work and go, honestly, was that any good? And there'll be bits that you hear in your own, in your own work, in your own recording, that you'll go, that's pretty good. And if you hear something that meets your benchmark as to what would impress you, you go, well, what is it within what I've just done that I think is working and that I, I can build on? And then be honest and go, what stinks? What have I just done that really stinks? And, you know, and you'll hear something that you want to do that, that you think, oh, I'm pretty good at that. I'm going to give that a shot. And you play it back and go... That really stuck. But then you go, that's okay. What do I do with that now to make that better? And it might be that it sounded too forced or it's, it's not suited. It might be that actually you can't, it might not be that it's suited to you. It might be that there are certain things that you're not suited to. But it might be that there's other stuff that you do that you're really good at. And that only comes after time, you know. Uh, one thing you mentioned there was, was obviously these big, you know, um Hollywood films that are made, animations are obviously mm. remain huge. I'm always interested in what's clear from what you've said there and just watching your work is, you know, you, you understand the microphone and you understand voiceover as a distinct art to other forms of acting. Yeah. Do you ever feel when you see, um, obviously I don't expect to be indiscreet here, but when you see, you know, big Hollywood stars uh, in these, you know, uh, these films, do you feel that they're the wrong, you know, is it right to cast these people because they're the rock or whatever? I'm not suggesting he's bad, but it sounds to me like it's a, a very different skill set. I think it depends who they are and what the project is. The one thing that, that is a huge benefit to, uh, uh, to any film or TV or, or games company by casting somebody that's very well known is, is basically eyeballs, so publicity. You know, you've got something to hang your hat on. Yeah. If you go, here's a thing you've never heard of, starring The Rock. And you go, well, I, I, I think I might go and see that. Mm. I like The Rock. I'm going to see that. 
if it's here's a thing you've never heard of starring Bob. And you go, well, I, I don't know which Bob that is. Uh, he's probably a very nice bloke, but I'm not really all that bothered. Yeah. Um, uh, and so in terms of publicity, it, it, it can make a, mm. a, a, a great deal of business sense to have somebody. And again, you know what? There's a lot of people there that, that will do brilliant work. Sometimes you'll hear someone that's been, you'll hear, uh, even a commercial, um, a famous voice that you only, re- you, you, you might see this commercial, hear the commercial, and a few weeks later, you might you know, read on, on Twitter that it's a really famous person, but you didn't know. Yeah. And so <laughs> you kind of think, well, they didn't have a recognizable voice enough to make you go, oh, it's that person. Or, oh, it's her. I like her. And, and, and so you kind of, well, so it didn't really do anything. You know, but whereas if you hear Stephen Fry's voice, well, you, you just speak to me all day. I immediately buy anything. I would buy anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thumb screws, fine, okay. Trouser press, yes. anything, I'm there. <laughs> um, Mark, I'm going to play some music uh, now. Is, uh, it, is to, it your own music? It's not my own music. Will I'm not you, even going to play any Tim Wilson music. Will you sing on the music? Um, I may do. Um, um, I want you to rest those vocals for a moment while we play a little tune. Um, and then um, we would like some questions from you. So Please at, do. tweet us at Scream Brum. Any questions for Mark Silk, and particularly any voices you'd like him to give? Can I ask you a question? You can. Are you about to play Talking Heads? Is that is that okay? Is that acceptable to you? I love Talking Heads. I was gonna I was gonna say I'm gonna play Radiohead and then everyone have a slight. Uh, I've been watching. I was, so I was actually looking at that, um, looking at your uh, screen where you're about to play. It, it has the Jules Holland version of Radiohead there. You know where he goes when when Radiohead won about OK Computer. He said, "Wonderful Radiohead." <laughs> <laughs> okay, well let's. If if you're sorry. a fan, Mark, if you'd like I'm to introduce fan. the track for us, and then we'll go into that, and we'll be back shortly, ladies and gentlemen. Talking Heads. And that was Radiohead, sorry, Radiohead, um, by the Talking Heads. Um, and that's from the soundtrack to the film of the same name, which, uh, which David Byrne directed, I think, himself back in the mid-80s. We're here, you're listening to the Scream Brum Show here on Brum Radio. Uh, our studio, which was full enough with Johnny Bravo and all the other guys, has got fuller still. Uh, whilst we're off air there, um, we are joined also by Mr. Carl Timms, uh, an international director. Um, he's he's going to be uh, introducing a film trailer uh, shortly for a fantastic project that he's been working on with some serious A-list actors. Um, we will not say... his autograph. We are we are we have we are, we would we came we asked him in on the basis that he would bring Alison Stedman with him, um, but uh, unfortunately uh, she can't make it. But Darn. Mark Mark Silk uh, Voice Wizard is still with voice us. Voice Wizard, <laughs> I'm like it. Voice Wizard, Vocal Sorcerer Mark Silk. Full disclosure, I. I brought my own one. <laughs> special pointy hat. Uh, uh, yes, it's a good look. Um, so. Mark, you, uh, we're, we're talking about animated films. We were talking about, you know, everyone's getting very excited because we've seen the first glimpse of Toy Story 4. Yeah. Uh, all of that kind of stuff. Now, how, you know, this might sound like a daft question. How is this film made? Do you record the voices first and then they draw pictures of what you're doing? How does it work? Yes. <laughs> That's right. So... So when, when, does the, when do the vocal artists come into these processes? Yeah, we, um, they, the, the most common way of doing it and the, the, the best way to do it is to record the voice track first. Because this whole thing's a collaboration. You know, so you'll have the script that's ready to go. And then the, the, the way that I love to do it, and it's, it's more and more unusual these days, but is to, have, is to be in the room with the full cast. 
So there's there's a great show on CBBS now called Go Jetters. It's a huge kids show. And two weeks ago, it started being transmitted in the States. So it's all over the world now. And to be part of that is just cool, you know? Anyway, so Go Jetters, we record that together as a cast. And um, we, in terms of the technical side of it, uh, you in the control room uh, where the mixing desk and uh, all, the cl- all the producers, directors sit, you'll have a, a, an engineer on the desk, a voice director... Uh, usually the writer, someone from the animation studio, a producer. So there's a lot of people involved with it. And then in, on our side, the performer's side, you'll have, uh, you'll have each of the cast members. So in Gojet is Zuli, Kayan, Lars, Foz, Uberkorn, and myself, the... Uh, he's not bad, he's just misunderstood. <laughs> the the marvellous Grandmaster Glitch! I'll get you no jetters! <laughs> Him. And and we and in terms of the technical side of it, we each have a music stand with a microphone to the side of it to pick up our voices. And there's a script on the music stand. And what we do, we go through each episode, blocking out each scene, and just work through that scene to get it all done. Now, you, you could record it separately. You could have each voice recorded separately. And... By the nature of people's availability, especially in Hollywood movies or bigger, you know, you know, bigger name actors and things, um, you can't always do that because just, you know, sometimes you just can't get people together in the room. Luckily, with the kind of work that we do, you tend to bump into the same, you know, a similar crew of people uh, and you, you try and do that. You try to be together. And when you are... There's an extra buzz in the air. There's this rapport that you feel as you're in the room because you're all bouncing off each other. Yeah. Now, if we have a conversation now, we, we can look at each other. We see each other's eyes. We see each other's faces. We can see smiles. And that's important. Uh, and when you see someone's response to what you're doing and you feel that buzz that it's working, uh, there's a performance that you get out of the characters that you might not get if it's you performing uh, solo. Although often the people that are really good at it will <laughs> will sound pretty damn fine. And, and how, I mean, how exacting do they have to be? I, I imagine, you know, obviously, unlike a normal film, if you like, you cannot, can you can you <laughs> deviate from the script one word? Do you have to, do they tell you how long a pause you need to know? How, how exacting is it like that? Well, anyone that's in, anyone that's, that's actually in that room is, is in there because they're good. It's in there because they're bringing whatever it is to that show that the people that have produced it want. Now, in terms of deviating from the script... Usually you don't need to. Hmm. You know, the, the reason that you'll add lib is because you'll think of something that's, that's funny or there's a moment that you think you can add something to. And it's kind of rare that you, you even feel you need to. Now, sometimes you might do. And I like to play. I really like to play. But also, you, sometimes if you've got a cast of people there, if you suddenly go off script and they're about to say their line, you'll just jump and walk all over each other. And there's not really room to do that. So... Usually, by the time the script gets into that studio, it's been worked on really well. And uh, if you're working solo, you can kind of play a little bit more. Uh, and even, but even then, to be to be fair, sometimes we do play around it, and, and things do stay in. And it must be difficult when um, the animation's already done. Um, so, for example, if you're, you know, if you're producing a, if you're Bob the Builder in America, you're hi. Exactly. Well, with Bob in America, um, the company that made it uh, were, were based in uh, Manchester Way, Altrincham, and they they made the English and the American version. And just because you got to start somewhere, they 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 did the English track first, 
So uh, the voice of Bob in the UK and uh, Australia, uh, Neil, Neil Morrissey, um, he would do the voice track for that and they'd animate to that. And then for the American version, we would come in and we would, we would lip sync to the lip flaps of the original, of, of the animation. Now, it's, again, that's a real skill in itself because it should look organic. It should, you know, it, when you hear that voice, it should sound like it's coming out of that character's mouth. Um, the good thing about that is sometimes you'll see something that the animators have done because when I was working on it, it was stop motion and then it went to CGI. I'm a huge fan of stop motion. Um, yeah, so what would happen is sometimes you'd see a little bit of business that the character's doing that wasn't scripted, but that the animator put in there. Because again, you know, the animators, they're actors. Mm. You know, they're, as much, uh, uh, um, they're, they're as much an actor as the, the voice actors. You know, it, it's a 50-50 thing. You know, we're, we're together we bring this thing to life. And so even though I'm, you know, I would much rather perform it, you know, before the animation's done. It, it's the, it, to me, it's the better way. Sometimes the bit of magic that you get when you do it the other way around is that you'll go, hang on, he's, what's he's, he's, the way he's walking up there is really quite funny. I could do a thing with that. And so you might do some... You know, a little, just a little bit of business that just gets you there. And they hadn't scripted that or thought it out. And just by doing that, it might just work. But chances are they probably won't need it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Tim, are we, have we got any, any tweets, any requests well, for voice performers? Nothing. Nothing through? No, no, we have, we have one suggestion. <coughs> one, one recollection. Um, recollection. Someone said he... Uh, feathers and wings have always... Hello, feathers and wings. Hello, feathers uh, and wings. He says, I will never forget the voice on the trailer for The Exorcist on the radio ads, and radio ads in about 1973. Which That's quite a, a niche one if we're asking one. Mark to perform that. Um, someone has also uh, tweeted in um, that he likes Paulie, the 1998 American adventure comedy about a disobedient bird called Paulie. <laughs> did you ever see that? I, I did not, no. I'm well aware of it. This, though, is, the, you were, this is the I'm, level, this is the level of, of our listeners. Of our, of our listeners. Well, yeah, I'm the, looking forward to the 4K re- remastered, restored version of Paulie in, in, uh, on ultra high definition. Okay, well, oh, right. Mark. Uh, just to go back to the Exorcist <laughs> one. Um, it, it, as a comment, I bet he's a hoot. <laughs> yeah, you go, what do you fancy watching? I oh, fancy watching the Exorcist trailer a few times. <laughs> Amazing that. It probably is. You know, probably find not. on YouTube now or something. Oh yeah. yeah, the Exorcist. Well, the voice of the Exorcist, as I recall, was was a was a woman doing with an incredibly deep voice who actually did the vocals for that. And part of the bit when I did watch a, a documentary about the making of that, when her head the twists around, yep. it's someone with just a leather wallet just. Yep. <laughs> yep. Putting that horrible sound. Okay, that, um, that Mark Commode documentary is absolutely fascinating. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's brilliant. And the on the I asked uh, Mark Commode about this on the DVD release of The Exorcist, where you see the you know, this documentary is on it. They took out the bit where it's it's interviewed where the woman's interviewed. There was some stuff they took out of, of the actual voice actress, uh-huh. uh, and she was quite a character. Um, I, I guess for Brum Radio standards, we won't be quoting what she said. Um, maybe, maybe off air, we'll learn that one. I'm interested, um, poorly. Um, now that now that we've had the raising of the, and just for clarity, we mean the name Paul with I E at the end of it. It's a name as opposed to not very well. That's right. Yes, yes. very good. Very good. You see, I don't have your clarity of vocal precision. Your diction. Um, yes. I don't think you're missing much. If if, <laughs> if Paulie were to be re-released in HD, I want you now to do 
the voice of Paulie. Can you have, what is it, an angry bird? A disobedient bird. It's an American. Can you do it as an American disobedient bird off the top of your head? I'm absolutely fed up. I, I'm not happy being inside this place for so long. This cage is giving me hives. She said she'd come back and give me a much larger space to inhabit. But really, I mean, look at this. This is a beautiful apartment. This, this view Fifth Avenue is super duper, but really. <laughs> I don't think we can add anything at all to that one. So there you are. That's a Stanley Tucci vibe there, didn't it? Almost. <laughs> Stanley Tucci. Uh, producers, if you are looking to, to, to reinvigorate Paulie, the 1998 classic, we have got just the man for it. So this is the voice of, of Carl Timms. This isn't actually Mark doing an impression. Or is it? Um, yeah, I was going to ask, when you're doing... Um, how voiceover work um, happens on a on a foreign um, film. So if you're watching something like a studio, if you're watching something like a Studio Ghibli film, uh, the, the voiceover work on those has always been very good when they do the American yeah. dubs. But obviously, the, those mouths are not moving in time. So how, how does that process work? I'm just going to move the microphone closer to my head, and we're back. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, with the studio, the Studio Ghibli, the anime um, things like Howl's Moving Castle and all that, it's it's similar to what we were saying before about Bob the Builder. Um, it, it's you're br- you're brought in and um, you are doing the best you can to make sure that the dialogue fits with the mouth movements. And sometimes, because of the nature of the translation, it's not going to happen. Um, but they are bringing in you know, A-grade actors that are good voice actors to make it work. I mean, there was... Um, which was the one that Christian Bale was in? Um, anyway, that one. But they, you know, you, you listen to it and you completely buy it. Um, so in terms of the process, it, it's that. So that they are they're, they're working with the translation, which inevitably, the, lip, the, the movements of the lips, the lip flaps aren't always going to fit. So you, you do your best. And do you sit there, literally, you talk about the lip flap, are you literally sort of got to zoom in and you're staring at their mouths. How does it actually work if you're actually... In post-sync, yeah. Mm. I mean, it, when, you're, when you're taking on board something that's already been animated, it's exactly that, yeah. Uh, and, and you're having to um, fit that, those movements. One of the, the first film I ever worked on was Chicken Run, wow. as an example. Mel Gibson. Yeah. Well, actually, as a consequence of that, I, I was in the studio around that time uh, working on a game. And I was playing around in between takes and, you know, doing a whole stack of voices. And this guy said, you seem pretty versatile. Do you think you can do Mel Gibson? I said, well, probably, yeah. Because I, I don't go out saying I'm an impressionist because that's not really what I do. I'm, I, I'm creating character voices, you know, voice acting. Because to me, to a point, I think most people can do a kind of party piece impression. That's not, not to take... Well, he's, he's looking uncertain. But, but it's and not to take away from anyone that, that does do impressions. You know, it, it is a skill. But, but I, I love the idea of creating new characters. That, you know, it, it's that thing of, which would you rather do an impression or create new characters that other people want to do an impression of? It, it's kind of like that. But, but I think people that are usually good voice actors, they've got quite a good musical ear. And that's what it is. It's all music and timing and notes and rhythm and, and pitch and all that. So um, this guy said, you know, can you do the voice of Mel Gibson? I said, well, probably, yeah, if you've got any reference. And he played me this recording, and it was a recording session of Mel Gibson. And it turned out it was the dialogue recording for Chicken Run. And they were about to make, the same game company were about to make Chicken Run the game. So I ended up getting brought in to perform Mel Gibson's character Rocky in Chicken Run the game. Wow. As a, I, I don't think I've told that story. So, so t- can you do your Mel Gibson for us now? I'd have to hear it. Oh. I mean, it's it's one of those strange ones that pretty much everything else I've done, I can probably remember. But Mel Gibson, it's so, it, it it's such an 
No, I, I'd, I'd, have, I'd have to hear it back. But the point with Chicken Run, you're asking about, you know, um, on, on the Studio Ghibli um, things with, with Chicken Run, it was, I was brought in right at the end of the film. It was right at the start of my career doing this kind of work. And um, I just got this call from an agent saying, uh, look, Ardman, who I adore, um, are looking for uh, chickens for this new, <laughs> for this new <laughs> film called Chicken Run. Uh, could you send us a bunch of chickens, please? So I went to my studio and I thought, well, look, you know what they'll get. If, if there's a casting call, say the voice of chickens, they can get a load of CDs of people going... And you think, well, you know, what are you meant to do with that? So I thought, let's show I understand these are characters and, and these are just... You, you treat it like regular people. So I thought, right, let's give them a whole bunch of chickens. So we had the chicken just walking down the street, happy day chicken. Uh, um, chicken in a hurry. Uh, chicken a little bit nervous because uh, the farmers come out of the uh, farmhouse. And then the and then they're a little bit too close to the to being in the dinner pot, and and so you'll give them something like, um, and all that stuff, uh, and um, and you know I, I gave a whole range of chicken, so they could hear here is a chicken that really has lived a life. I was just thinking people who might have just joined us this very second. You're listening to the the new Chicken Hour on welcome Brum Radio. To, welcome to Medical Hour. Tell us your <laughs> tell us your theories. How are you, what's going on in your head? Anyway, at the end of it, I thought, look, I, I thought I'd done a decent job of showing a huge range of chicken, but just to leave them with something to hang your hat on, I thought, right, what can I do that's a bit more bit memorable? So I got a hold of a, an instrumental big band version of New York, New York. <laughs> yeah, because why wouldn't you? Uh, and uh, it just stands to raise, really. And I've got this really good recording uh, of the original band members that worked with Frank Sinatra playing the instrumental version of New York, New York. And uh, I did Bohemian Rhapsody style, five part chicken harmonies. I appreciate that. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Me I'd, too. I'd, I'd be so lapping that up. We're both on the same Freddie yeah, Mercury like Queen loving page. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so with this track, you know, you know, big, you know, we're talking big showmanship here, proper big Vegas show tunes. And this thing goes, dun, 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 dun. And, and then you hear, and, uh, and and filled it out with five part harmonies, and I got the gig. And then at the end of it, at the end of this thing, um, I, I was in the, I was in the studio with with these other chicken performers, and and Nick Park and and Peter Lord from Ardman. And uh, any time they wanted me to go in and perform a chicken on Chicken Run, they would go, can you bring this Sinatra chicken in, please? Oh, now, Rick. that is what you I want on my CV. I'm living the dream. The <laughs> Sinatra chicken. Now, um, Mark, um, we're going to um, ask you to do uh, some live work for us in a moment, if we may. But I want to, first my of all... pleasure. Uh, because I want to introduce um, Carl Timms, because we're gonna, we, he's got a very exciting... Uh, film where we the trailer has just been released and we'd like an introduction. But, but Carl, thank you. Welcome back to the show. You've been on in the past. Yeah, it's great to be back. Whilst you were while you were setting up uh, off grid, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So so tell us all a little bit. Remind us a little bit about the film the story so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think last time I was on, uh, we cast James Cosmo, but and we would started our crowdfunding campaign, and the whole thing was uh, was just sort of getting going. Um, yeah. 
by the end of that campaign, we'd, uh, we we'd managed to go way beyond what we were expecting in terms of cast. Um, we managed to get from James's involvement, um, Alison Stedman, the, the legendary uh, Alison Stedman, came on board uh, to play his wife, Grace. Um, we then uh, found that there was a, a chap who'd been in Coronation Street for five years uh, playing a, a villain um, who was actually from Stourport, so it was fairly local to uh, to where we were filming. So so he came on board. He was really happy to, to, to support something local, um, and that was uh, Mark Bayliss. Um, so yeah, it all just kind of came together very, very rapidly in, in April, and uh, we shot uh, we shot in in May and September. And it's now in post production phase. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So uh, so the, the we did the final pickup shoot in uh, in September. Um, the edit's been going on since then. Uh, I I watched a eighteen minute edit which was missing three scenes um, last week. So I think the final thing's probably going to be about sort of twenty twenty one minutes. Um, and uh, yeah, I've got to say, I, I, I got a bit emotional when I when I saw it um, because it's it's really come together. Uh, I'm delighted. Um, well, can you give the? We'll, we'll, we'll play the trailer in a moment, but obviously there are some visual dimensions mm-hmm. that they won't come across. Not least the uh, the the antagonists, the shining ones. Yes. Right? They have they're quite an uh, an arresting image. They have these uh, shiny eyes, like out of. Um, Bonnie Tyler's yes, um, yeah, yeah, that that might be doing it slight disservice. I apologise, um, but um, you're going to play the trailer. Give us a little overview of the plot, and then sure. Mark, if you would be able to uh, introduce the trailer in your best uh, trailer man voice, and we will we will play it on. Oh my air. God, the pressure, the pressure. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the film. Sure. So so Off Grid tells uh, the tale of um, a, a elderly couple. Um, basically uh, John and Grace Tanner, who have fled into the woods following some kind of apocalypse that has wiped out humanity. Um, Grace is very frail, and John is doing everything he can to protect them, uh, and they've started um, basically being attacked by these uh, demonic, possessed people, um, possessed by these things called the Shining Ones, uh, and the only way you can see what they are is by uh, their glowing blue eyes uh, in the dark, and John has become particularly good at dispatching them uh, and into their lives comes a stranger and John can't decide whether to trust this person or not and uh, stuff happens mm. when when can we expect to see the, the final um, so so my hope is that we'll have it done by February um, the the hold up for us is um, we, we didn't hit our target when we did our original crowdfund so now we've got into post production I've been very lucky to find um, an editor happy to sort of get started on it really and uh, things have progressed but we're, we're reaching the point where um, the special effects are the one thing that, that's going to hold this up because we, uh, we've got some quite ambitious sort of CG eye effects um, unfortunately burning blue eyes is the one thing you can't do practically uh, everything else in the film was practical um, but uh, yeah it's short of uh, fire fluid in someone's eyes and a lighter I don't think you can really I, get that effect so, these um, actors are not fully committed they're just if, not anymore if, I, if I did not suggest have it, magnesium but, implanted into their faces no, no, no exactly oh, but so uh, you know, you get what you hire, you know, you pay for, really. But um, uh, but yeah, we uh, so so we we've launched another Indiegogo campaign, um, and uh, it's uh, it launched a few days ago. Uh, we're at twenty percent already, which is great. Um, the the one thing I will say is that the perks at this point, obviously, we did perks for like being in the film and being a shining one and stuff like that. We can't do that this time around. But the key I'm hoping people will help support us for is 
this film is not going to be seen publicly for at least two years um, because uh, it's going to do a festival run and also with the with the cast that we've now attracted there's no way they're going to let us put it out on YouTube or whatever and I wouldn't want to to be honest mm-hmm. um, so so if you want to see this film uh, and support a, a, I guess a really ambitious short film um, then then yeah please buy a download buy a DVD and uh, and really help us out get it over the finish line fantastic well shall we listen to the trailer Mark, are you prepared to to imagine where the lights have just gone down in in the cinema um, and just before we watch the uh, featured movie, we have uh, some forthcoming attractions. Ladies and gentlemen, please turn off your phone. Please eat quietly. Please don't make any bodily function noises. And now, get ready for something truly terrifying. An off-the-grid film, a tale of an elderly couple, an apocalypse, someone gets possessed, there are shiny things, a guy called John is rather good at dispatching people, it features burning blue eyes, but not not actual burning blue eyes, because that would hurt. Dark Matter Films brings you Off-Grid. I've seen the true face. Be glad. You haven't seen what's happening out there. Can we leave here, John? It's getting worse. What can I do you for? I'll work. For a meal and a night under your roof. What brings you way out here? A safety. What's it like out there? Any decent people left? Not bad people. They just brought them back. Innocence! Demon! Oh no, no, no. Well, I say, if you want to watch the trailer, you can. Um, it, you go to well, it's on Vimeo. What's the how people find it? I actually, don't find uh, probably from, probably the easiest thing is on uh, our Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. So uh, there, um, Instagram and Twitter is at Dark Matter Films. Um, the uh, Facebook is at Dark Matter Films UK. And it is it's it's looking gorgeous. It's looking scary and dark, and it's got Alison Stedman looking unwell. Yes, yeah, she's uh, she's actually fantastic. The, the, the problem is I, I I haven't put enough Alison in the trailer, but um, but but really quite a big part of her um, uh, well, but quite quite a lot of her performance uh, would be a bit spoilery, I think, if we put too much in because uh, she, her moment really comes towards the end and it's amazing. Uh, and what was it like working with you know? I mean, as a director, is it? I can imagine it's quite intimidating, sort of telling James Cosmo what to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I had to go into it because obviously, only being my my second sort of real um, uh, attempt, uh, you know, good short, um, I uh, I was a bit concerned about that. I thought, well, how how can you do it? But but actually, they 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 took direction really well, and I think in a way, um, you know, that, that they expected me to take charge. That's what's what they expect the director to do. So so you have to kind of pull yourself out of that kind of nervousness and and just sort of get on with it. So by by the end of the four days, I found um, I was feeling a lot more likely to sort of step in and and uh, and. Talk talk stuff but but the main thing is they they are so professional that they they just turn it on and um 
uh, it, it's just amazing to watch that yeah. and see that sort of dialogue and everything being brought to life, the choices they make. Occasionally, you know, you'd, you'd ask them to do something slightly different, but, but nine times out of ten, they were just kind of, it was just like, let's do that again, more of the same. Yeah. They, they were just fantastic. They knew exactly what they were doing with those characters. Fantastic. Um, Mark, the, the question of directing there comes in with, with voice directing. Yeah. Uh, again, voice acting, we, we, you know, we can see is clearly a, a, a very kind of specialist skill. Is directing uh, a voice actor something that's quite different to directing a... Obviously, there's much less about their performance you can, you can see. It's very different. Yeah. It's a, it's a very different kind of... Um, it's a very different kind of end result that a voice director is, will, will, will need to understand and, and understand how to get that out of their performer than someone that's directing someone that's moving or expressing themselves visually. It, it is a very different way of performing. And uh, I love it when I'm working with a, a, a great voice director that gets a performance out of you that you wouldn't normally have thought of doing. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I'm all right at this. You know, and I've got a good... I have my own idea of what I think is going to work. But you know what? You might be in a room and, you, and you'll have a great director who's got a vision of what they want. And you'll hear yourself doing something you've never done before. You've never heard yourself perform like that. And that's because of just how great they were. And it's, it's this, again, it's this collaborative thing. They need to understand the director, the voice director or, or screen director needs to understand the, um, the, the person whose project it is is is, is um, concept and idea and, and the feel they want out of that performance. And then the, the director, whether it's um, in vision or a voice director, they're working with different kinds of people and different personalities and their skill is how to get that vision out of them. And I, I love it. There's a guy that I work with um, on Thunderbirds and uh, uh, Go Jetters and a number of other things, uh, this guy Dave, and he's a great voice director. And he, you know he's on your side and he'll bring the absolute best out of you. If there's a day where you've got a bit of a cold, he'll tell you you're sounding a bit like you've got your, your voice in your boots and he'll bring it back out. He might say that needs to be punchier. He might laugh out loud and go, that's staying in. But it's a pleasure to work with him. Always. So it's a very different technique to um, it's a very de- different technique to if you were directing somebody that's on stage or vi- or visually. Yeah, uh, there's so many questions that uh, that I want to ask you about. I know you do have to head off because you're off. You're probably going to meet him with Steven Spielberg or something. Do you know you? what? What I've been doing is I'm just on Twitter. I'm just looking at uh, off Grid the uh, the Indiegogo campaign because this is I. It's the first time I've seen this, and you've heard you know can't talk about this. It looks really good. <laughs> it looks really good. And if you fancy um, treating uh, some talented people, go on Indiegogo, type in Dark Matter Films or Off Grid, and you'll see the Indiegogo page. And there's some even just the way they've categorized. Yes, it's good, isn't it? I'm, I'm it's really so you've got okay you can you can donate to help get this film made by some very talented people for 10 quid you can you can get you can you get crew got to eat so they get fed as you go a bit further you go to custom loot box you then go to feast of the shining ones uh, for a thousand quid there you go tim Wear them like skins. Here's one of my favorites. You can be an executive producer for 2,000 quid. For 5,500 quid, you can live in Carl's house for a month. For 250... You could not not pay me to live in Carl's house. For 250,000 pounds, you can buy Carl's house. 
<laughs> He's the most creative. <laughs> yeah, for three hundred thousand pounds, you can actually own Carl. Yeah, that, that would for be jobs around the house. I, I, I think <laughs> if you could, if you had enough to turn this into a feature, you'd for probably take year. that, wouldn't you, Carl? You'd sell yourself for a, <laughs> you'd sell yourself for a Hollywood feature. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, that is our hopefully our next step. Yeah. So, yeah. If that's that. a good film in itself. <laughs> so, I'm, um, I'm, I'm looking at um, Mark is just, uh, just touting for a job as the voice of a shining one. Now, you've seen the trailer. You, we haven't heard the voice of a shining one. What would a shining one sound like? Morning. <laughs> Honestly, I tell you what, I wasn't expecting this, but I'm, I've woke up this morning. I'm all sparkly. <laughs> I don't know why. My my bedroom seemed a little bit more illuminated than I was expecting, and I scared off all my neighbours. But their cats seemed to find it moderately amusing. <laughs> Good, right, Carl? Any notes on that? Maybe just touch darker. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think um, maybe, maybe slightly. Yeah, it's pretty good though. Added some levity. Levity. I, I can't stand all this darkness, so I thought I'd give myself a little bit of a gentleman's surprise, and I came out all sparkly. As about for a special one. Well, what I'm really surprised about is just how he's reached into my head and taken yeah. out the, the voice. It's, it's uncanny. Well, that's, that is uncanny. That is the professional for you. By the way, we were talking about the clearly the, the immensely professional trailer that your film will have. You know that when you think movie trailer, you think of... In a world, get ready for action and adventure. That guy. Mm-hmm. The guy. That guy. There were a number of people that did that kind of performance, but really they were all tipping their hat, including me, to a guy called Don LaFontaine. Yeah. If you want to go on YouTube and type in Don LaFontaine with an E. He, is the, he was a writer in, in the late 60s and early 70s. He's the guy that actually wrote the line, In a world... And so everybody else after him, he is he, he he's not around anymore. But he he had an incredible voice. And again, the, just anyone that's creative trying to get into a creative medium, so much of this is just finding a way of hanging your hat on what you do. He didn't do a stack of voices. He had one voice, but he knew how to use it. So you'd hear him go, "The brand new, the brand new film from from Disney," you know, or, or "Get ready for action and adventure," or "This Halloween." There's only one way to escape. You know, so it didn't matter what it was, he would manage to, he, his voice would fit anything. So if you want to sound full of action or excitement or comedy or drama, he was that guy. But, um, but if you want to just delve into just a really cool performer, that he would, he, at one point, he had a limo in LA and he would be limousined from studio to studio to studio. He was that busy. But Don LaFontaine, a total hero. And if there's a there's a film called In a World, uh, starring Lake Bell, which is set in that world um, yeah. of people re- trying to replace him, um, and she wants to become, you know, the f- the first kind of female yep. trailer. Uh, it's a great film, actually. I'd recommend it. But um, there was a guy called, or there was a guy called Hal Douglas, and uh, he was brought in to perform a movie trailer voice, and he was one of them, and. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld had a movie out about 20 years ago called Comedian. And it was just, it was behind the scenes on, on watching stand-up comedians hone their craft and try new material and get it right. And at the time, you know, Seinfeld was at the absolute top of the game. And uh, <laughs> you don't see Seinfeld or any of these people mentioned in the trailer. You just see a, a big Hollywood recording studio. 
And this guy, um, played by Hal Douglas, walks in and goes, uh, they go, okay, uh, uh, this comedian movie trailer, take one. And then he, he gets close to the mic and he goes, in a world where laughter is king. And, and, you know, and, and it just gets sillier and sillier and sillier and sillier. Uh, and, uh, and eventually he gets fired. And he goes, oh, you're fired? I'm fired. No, really, you're fired? I'm fired. <laughs> Get out of the booth, Jack. <laughs> no, I like it in here. <laughs> I love that trailer. I've been trying to remember. The, the comedian, is it? Or comedian? It's called Comedian. There we go. Comedian. There we are. Fantastic. Um, any, any? Have we had any last requests yeah, for Mark for for? Yeah, um, sounds very final. Yeah, before, um, we're not letting you out of here, Mark. We're releasing the shining ones. Yeah. Can Mark do Hal from Two Thousand and One: A Space Odyssey? What What's for dinner, Dave? <gasps> oh, that I'm, is, I'm afraid. That is that is fantastic. And, um, he died recently. Who? The, the voice of the Hal. The voice of Hal. Yeah. Can you do Optimus Prime? Oh, I need to hear it again. It's an astonishing voice. Yeah, it's mm. Yeah. Can you do Skeletor from He-Man? Can you do my my Auntie Margaret? <laughs> <laughs> Can you? Do, I did it. That I, is uncanny of my Auntie my Margaret. Sorry, sorry, just like, my Auntie Margaret. I have an Auntie Margaret too. Yeah. I, oh, uh, female voices. I have been brought in to be female voices. It, really? It, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a there was a promo for Cartoon Network, and they needed uh, they needed it was Sylvester the Cat, and Granny. And I think I was tweeting as well, which they pitched sped up. So, you know, I'm going, I try to do a pudding tad. And they speed it up. And then, and then you hear, you betcha thorough pudding tad. And then I, I was, they were trying to get the voice of Granny and they couldn't find some, uh, they brought in a couple of um, voice actresses. And for some reason, they, they weren't quite getting it as close as they needed. And um, I said, oh, who's playing Granny? And they said, we don't know. We haven't found it yet. And I said, how about, come along, Sylvester, put the Tweety Bird down. Fluff from Fuggatash, you know, bad old pussycat. And they went, okay, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so I ended up being um, granny as well. Fantastic. How do you keep that voice, when you're doing that all day, how do you keep it, you know, what's your, I've noticed you've had a, a, a comedy large cup of uh, mint tea whilst we're uh, on air, but what else do you do to keep this voice ticking over? Sounds- Just to explain the comedically large cup of tea, I was asked, would you like a cup of tea? So I said, yes, please. Do you have a peppermint tea, a gentleman's peppermint tea? And our lovely producer came out and, and brought in a, a very nice gentleman's peppermint tea. Uh, they didn't have a regular-sized tea strainer, so they brought a, an industrial-sized sieve. It's the kind of thing you would put in a, in a skip if, if, if you were making tea for a small village. Yeah. Uh, but that explains the comedically large tea. Yeah. Um, is, is there, a, um, is there a, magic, uh, a magic potion that people should take, keep their vocal cords in order? Yes. I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> Drambuie. See you next week. Um, well, I, 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 drink, I, pro- I drink way too much coffee. Um, I'm down to about, although I've tried to cut back now, so I'm down to about, I love really good fresh coffee beans. So I'm down to about two or three packs a day now. But, but in, in, in terms of the, the drink that will really help your throat, uh, especially if you've got a cold or a dodgy doodah, um, lemon, ginger, honey, uh, and hot water. And if you have, I like can't advertise, if I just say Vitamix, if you've got a, a particularly fabulous blender, 
but the best one, Vitamix, big one of them. Uh, there's also, and there's another one that's not quite as expensive. Um, it would be indiscreet if I said it. So let's just call it Blendtec. But the best one, Vitamix, that one. Um, you, you, you basically, uh, a lemon. Sponsorship money is rolling in. Let me speak. Within four quid. <laughs> lemon, ginger, honey, and, um, uh, and water. Blast it up for five minutes on full. And then after five minutes, um, you'll have this steaming hot, fabulous drink. And it will, it'll, it'll sort out your pipes. Unfortunately, we cannot guarantee that you you will be able to do multiple chickens uh, as a result of drinking that. But it's it's worth a try, right? Yeah. It's got to be worth a try. Um, fantastic. We're going to play a little bit more music now, uh, and then we'll be back shortly. Um, I'm going to play from another uh, from a remake. Actually, would you like to introduce? Um, I'm not. We're having some messing about in the studio. Different voices coming through. I'm going to play the track from the uh, the remake of Endless Love, um, pl- mainly because this does have possibly one of the deepest voices in contemporary rock music in it, and we'll see how we get on. I'm turning off Mark's microphones, uh, and we'll have a listen. Speak to you soon. Um, there we had the All Our Endless Love, which is from the remake of the film of the same name. That one was by The Bird and the Bee featuring Matt Berenger. Matt Berenger of the definitely not Vitamix-enabled voice, much more gravelly and low. Um, we have to say goodbye to Mr. Mark Silk, the vocal sorcerer. I'm upgrading you. What can I say? It's been an absolute thrill, baby. That's Sweetie, it. baby, cookie, honey, I'm loving your work. <laughs> At the best teeth in industry. There we go. That was Mark. So really, really grateful for you coming. Yeah, thanks, thanks for inviting me. And the, the, also, just to say, if anyone here listening right now is invited as a guest on, on this show, the catering is second to none. I've had mince pies and Belgian chocolates. Well, I should say we're having a Christmas party on the 21st of December, which is an open invitation. Mark. See you so there. Come back here in the Warehouse Cafe. There'll be food aplenty, possibly mulled wine. Full, so do come Full along. disclosure, I love the Warehouse Cafe. Go. It's a beautiful place. It's a good place. If you haven't been for a while, do come again because it has changed and it is even better than it used to be. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot, Mark. It's been good fun. Have a safe journey. We'll see you again. Thank you. Um, and Carl, you're going to stay around with us for a while? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank yeah. you. So, so Carl, um, obviously hot off producing the film. Uh, you mentioned that possibly intended as a would you would is the was the is the fantasy a um, not the fantasy but is, is the plan. To turn it into a feature is that is that what you'd like to do with the film? Yeah, that's our that, that's our aim. I, mm-hmm. I'd say now. Um, I don't think it was at the beginning, um, but uh, what we set out to do, uh, we, we said very early on, we want this to be a, a feature in twenty minutes. So um, we told we told quite a um, we tell quite a tale in, in twenty minutes. We didn't want it to be one of these short films where it's kind of a, just a single location, everyone yeah. indoors or outdoors. You know, it it, it it's got quite a lot of. Um, depth for a, for a short film so so actually the natural thing when we got deeper into it and saw how good the characters were 
um, was to sort of say, well, actually, how about we show how they got here and, and expand it out a bit more? So, um, so yeah, we think a, a ninety-minute low budget should be good. Is it is it a frustration? You know, how do you feel working in in short film? Is it is it? Do you think? Oh, I wish I had another half hour of this, or or is it? You know, do you like the kind of discipline of shrinking it in? Um, well, I, I think, you know, you, if you want to prove yourself, you, ha- you have to do shorts. I, I think it's, it, it's just part of the, of the kind of journey you, you, you make. Um, I'd like to think that after sort of years of doing stuff and, and uh, producing and, and a bit of documentary directing and now going into shorts, I'm sort of ready for the challenge of, of a feature. Um, but, uh, yeah, obviously you can achieve a lot more, but there's, there's so much more you have to think about when you start going into features. Uh, people try and sort of rattle features out, but actually to do them properly, I think you've really... You've just got so many moving parts, um, and just doing a twenty-minute one has been, uh, you know, has, has taken up hours and hours and hours and hours of our lives just um, just to get this made. And um, yeah, the thought of doing that, but sort of four times, five times longer, is uh, yeah, it's terrifying. But but yeah, it'd be amazing. And um, we have to ask a little bit more about your stars. Mm-hmm. Um, did the, you know? Did you? You mentioned that you, you know, you, you, they were open to being. Um, did you, did you learn anything from them? You know, did they come in and bring you any insights? You know, did you feel that you had all that years of experience coming through? Um, well, I think, I think the main thing that they they brought was um, there, there was just such. I could just put such trust in them to just do what they needed to do that mm. that it meant I was able to focus. Um, uh, quite a lot on on the sort of technical side. I'm, I'm not like uh, the most technical filmmaker, but my my director of photography, um, Paul Lula, he was um, outstanding and, and really really knows his stuff. But it but it meant we could really sort of craft the shots that we'd storyboarded, and uh, and I didn't have to worry so much about the performances because I knew I just knew they had it in hand. Um, and so I was able to just step in just at the time when maybe I thought, well, actually, we might need to just do that a different way or or maybe there's a slight difference to how I kind of could see in my head the the whole project. I mean, that, that that's the one thing I think that, that you learn as, as a director is that you, you're holding the whole film in your head and you're trying to get that out to everybody else and, and make everyone else understand what you're seeing. And uh, And actually, sometimes, you know, people will question you on things and say, Oh, I don't really get it. Why are we doing this? What, yeah. What's the point of this shot? And and actually, in your head, you know exactly where that shot's going and why you're doing it. So you have to sort of stick to your guns. And and I think with the actors, yeah, they they, they were lovely. You know, they were absolutely lovely to work with. They put no pressure on me, um, and uh, and so I was just able to watch them and just learn from that experience. Yeah. And does does the film change in the making? I mean, you mentioned obviously having a vision. Did it come out exactly as you wanted it to, or did you find surprised? You know how it actually came out. Oh yeah, there's uh, as much as you can sort of visualize something and even storyboard it. You that's almost too prescriptive. I think if you if you just filmed to your storyboards, you'll end up with with massive gaps because um, when it's on paper, it, you can't you can't quite sort of get it right. But um, uh, you have to be prepared to shoot as much as possible. We had we we only had them for a short amount of time. Um, Alison was there for two days. Mark was there for two days. So so we had to just get everything we could. Um, they were game to to just sort of help out. I mean they they one night we were supposed to finish around uh, midnight and we were filming at half two in the morning and they didn't complain. They didn't you know they didn't put any pressure on us to to get it done. But um, there was a moment when. Uh, 
uh, you know, we were mid-take in, in sort of a climactic finale scene and, uh, and suddenly, like, you know, one of the crew outside starts talking because they hadn't realised we'd started filming and, and, the, and there was moments where we all kind of <laughs> expletives were flying around, but, um, you know, actors included. But, um, but they didn't blame us for that, you know. They, they just knew it was just an individual mistake and, and it just carried on. And, uh, but the, their ability to just jump in and out of a scene was just amazing um i, th- I think the one thing we did learn actually uh, yeah just thinking about it this was this was a definite moment was um there was a point in the finale where alison was delivering a line and she put a pause in where i wasn't expecting one and uh, our writer mark basically interjected to sort of prompt the line but actually it was a dramatic pause so that kind of broke broke her flow so i think what we what we definitely learned, and there were a couple of those um during the shoot i think what i learned was just let them do their thing um, and they'll ask if they're stuck. You know, they, they will ask for a prompt. Don't, don't presume that they've forgotten the lines because uh, they're, they're kind of professional, you know. Yeah, they've been doing it. <laughs> they've been doing it a while, haven't they? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And, and you mentioned, obviously, the, the outdoor filming. Where was it filmed? It was local. Was it Worcester? Yeah, so we um, we, we shot um, the, the, because some of it is set inside um, the cabin. Um, we we shot a, an interior at a, a place called Peckwood House uh, in Elverchurch, and uh, that that's like a kind of holiday cabin um, retreat type place. So they let us just build a set inside their cabin, um, and and then we did the exterior stuff. Uh, there's a scout hut um, near Budley, which uh, we were very lucky to to find. I mean, it was quite hard to get to. It was a bit of a logistic nightmare, but. Uh, getting lights and stuff over there but once we were there we were completely isolated and it's in this kind of copse of trees that's completely you know on all sides wherever you pointed the camera you can just see trees and this amazing looking cabin so uh yeah we built an extension onto that um stuck a few bits of set dressing and things and, and away we went yeah so it was great it's is it creepy filming in the middle of the night in the woods in Budley? does it feel like the Blair Witch <laughs> Um, it, it would have been, but I think on that final day uh, where we were shooting the night stuff, we had uh, we had about what was it about fifteen extras. We had uh, sort of ten other um, shining ones, sort of stormtrooper extras, uh, about twenty five crew. It's not really that creepy. Um, but uh, when everyone else had left and we were clearing the site, and there was only sort of three or four of you walking around with headlamps, it gets a bit yeah, it got a bit creepy. Fantastic. Well, we're going to play a little bit more music. If you have any questions for Carl, uh, do tweet us at ScreenBrum or you can email us info at ScreenBrum.co.uk. Play a little bit more music and we'll be back with you shortly. So that was, of course, the Ballad of Easy Rider by the Birds from the film of the uh, well, the film Easy Rider. Um, it's been quite enjoyable picking the music for this show today because we, we normally we pick them around the theme, and I was trying to, to do them all from from Mark's um, performances and, and various ones, but they'd be quite sort of um, quite sort of cartoon heavy. And uh, I decided no, let's just go with with just some music from from films. Um, and and Carl, you're still here, so we're joined by Carl Timms, director of the uh, exciting, really excited to see this new film uh, off-grid. And while we're talking music, uh, does it have an original soundtrack? 
Uh, yeah, so uh, there's a, a friend of mine, um, Matthew Steed, who's uh, went sort of into composing a couple of years ago. He's a lead singer in a local metal band called Reign of Fury, um, but he's he's an incredible. I know him. You I know, know that band well. Ah, uh, yeah, Matt. So Matt, Matt's um, he's he's the composer for uh, Still, uh, my first short, and uh, and so we're working together on on Off Grid. Um, well, that's he's, cool. Yeah, he's a um, he's a really great composer. Yeah. So you are. You mentioned off air there that you, when you saw the first cut of this, you felt a bit emotional. You know, what does it feel like? I mean, how long has this been percolating in your mind until until you finally see it? Uh, so I, I read the first version of Off Grid, which was seven pages uh, that Mark had written to film on a phone, um, uh, about. March, April last year. So, so it's been over eighteen months. Yeah, it's pretty quick, yeah. though, for for a film, I guess. You know. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the thing is, it's it's hard to sort of tell on scale. I, I sometimes feel like I'm a very slow uh, filmmaker because um, I, I know people through the local community who you know churning out three or four shorts a year. But but I think the thing they is, they don't I, have James Cosmo. Yeah, well, they? that's it. Yeah, and, and I think, but it t- it took a fair while for still to come together, and and I just kind of like to get everything right. I think people, I really annoy people. Like there, there were times when we didn't think we were going to hit our target on um, the Indiegogo, where everyone was just going, let's just get on with it. We're not going to get a, you know a great grace, or we're not going to get somebody to play the stranger. Just get on with it. Get somebody local. Um, but but I I insisted we stuck to our guns and, and waited it out, and, and it all came together. I think you just got to believe. You know, and I'm I'm, not, I'm an eternal optimist. So, and well, of course, it's a great calling card for. Uh, dark matter films now i mean obviously still was great and that made a lot of of, of friends didn't it and, and hmm. played lots of so what is the what is the plan you know for, for for the for this film where are you taking it what's the what's the kind of release schedule so i think um that there's a it's an interesting field that the festival circuit because you kind of have um generally two categories you've got shorts that are up to 10 minutes and shorts up to 40 minutes so this is kind of somewhere in the middle but it's going to be in the longer the longer short category which which i think um it's going to stand up really well um because of the the cast and the quality of the final final film but um i think it is easier to um to do well if you've got your film under 10 minutes and because there's lots more festivals that cater for that kind of level so um but the thing is that the moment we knew we got james um immediately my head i was thinking high-end festivals for this um still still played some great little local festivals all over america and, and europe but um but i think with this we're, we're really hoping um you, you know i i want something like a um fright fest premiere or something you know something really substantial for this and i think with the cast we should hopefully be able to negotiate that how, how does it work to get into a festival like that what's the process for a director or a, what would you have to do um, well, it's uh, it's become very easy in the last few years because uh, there is there is a um, bunch of websites. So uh, there's Film Freeway um, without a box, which is owned by IMDb, and they uh, they let you set up your film um, almost as a product and put pictures and trailers and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then you just kind of go around all the festivals who have information and you just submit and you you pay your money and you submit your festival. What what it has meant is um, festivals, you know. Th- didn't used to be a, such a massive amount of them. Uh, if you go on Film Freeway, there's something like six and a half thousand wow. festivals now, yeah. and and some of them are charging upwards of thirty, forty, fifty pounds to to submit. Um, so it can really add up. You know, it can really, really add up. And so you've got to you've got to get your campaign right. And I, I learned that. Very, I had to learn that incredibly fast on Still because um, it got rejected from the first five festivals I put it into. Um, and you have to you start thinking. 
my film's crap. You know, oh my God, like no one wants to see this. And everyone's saying it's really good. Um, but then I tweaked the campaign a little bit and we, we won an award from um, like the Birmingham Film Festival and then, and then you win another award and then you get screened somewhere and, and you, you just have to change your approach every time and say, well, it's premiered here, but now you can have this premiere. You know, we, so it goes from the uh, US premiere to the East Coast, West Coast premiere to the you know, uh, Michigan, you know, Minnesota, whatever you know, territorial premiere and so we, yeah. break it down. So, so it's, it, it's kind of a, 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 there's a little bit of a science to it, um, but, it, but it's much easier than it used to be where people were having to quite literally print out a DVD, put it in an envelope, send it off, wait six months. Um, you don't have to do any of that anymore. You just put your, your screener online and, and off you go. But it's, it, it's addictive. I think I, you know, I got to the point where I'd put a few hundred quid into still and was just like, I've got to stop. <laughs> I'm going to bankrupt myself if I just keep entering festivals because there were so, so many to enter. And we keep mentioning still. I should mention anyone who hasn't uh, seen that film. Um, this is a film, uh, a, a zombie film, uh, which was filmed in the Jewel Quarter here in Birmingham. So if you're familiar with the location, uh, it has an extra freeze on to you. Imagining... Imagining mindless, stumbling zombies in the jewellery quarter. In That's what I hear living at home. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but uh, is that still is that available for people? Can people see that anywhere? Um, yeah, so it's, uh, we've got it for sale on uh, Vimeo. Um, it's, it's only seven minutes, um, but it's, and it's £1.59, um, but all that proceeds go to the crew. Um, the, uh, it also got picked up uh, following a US festival for... Um, uh, streaming and uh, video on demand, uh, and it was bundled in the summer into a film on uh, Amazon Prime uh, called Blood Clots, which was an anthology film. Um, I think it, they didn't do a great job of the the, the, the anthology. I've got to say because they I it, saw the, that I didn't. I saw the, the poster for that, but it didn't look like an anthology. It looked like a sort of really yeah. rubbish Saw ripoff. Yeah, the, the poster was a ripoff of Saw, and the um, and the, they, they didn't do a kind of wraparound story or anything like that. But but it was an interesting collection of shorts. It was great to be part of that, um, and it got put out. Um, it was on for about six weeks, and now it's it's kind of gone for now. I, I've been reassured by the distributors it's coming back at some point. So, um, yeah, but there there are links on our website if uh, if people go there um, to Vimeo and and Blood Clots. Fantastic. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about um, the end of the world um, because ah, great, yeah, yeah. you know the news has not been you know has not been that edifying of late. So let's uh, let's talk a bit more about apocalyptic cinema. Before we do, let's have a little bit more music to keeping it jolly to keep us relaxed. I'm going to play uh, a track for you now, and then. We'll be back again. Any questions for for Carl? Do tweet us at Screen Brumman. Uh, apocalyptic cinema. So off grid is uh, apocalyptic. Still is apocalyptic. So there's a pattern emerging in your work here. <laughs> um, so I'd be interested to know because there's a lot of uh, apocalyptic cinema that seems to be happening at the moment. We seem to be. Well, I don't know whether there's a, a kind of um, anxiety about the end of the world. Prophecy. Just watching the news. Who knows? Um, but let's have, let's let's have a little bit of music. I'm back. I'm just going to play uh, the title track from the film. Uh, God help the girl, which I love. Oh, I love that. This is God help the girl um, from the, the film of the same name. Um, and the can't remember the name of the director, but it's the guy from um, uh, Bell and Sebastian. Um, so, uh, yeah, look that up. Not apocalyptic. Lovely and warm and romantic. <laughs> Speaking of lovely and warm and romantic, uh, Carl, uh, apocalyptic cinema, you've got a couple. We've just been ch- chatting off air about The Girl with All the Gifts, which was filmed yeah. here, well, partly filmed here in uh, Birmingham Canic Chase. Um, do you, you know, why do you think people love the end of the world? Um, I, th- I think a lot of that comes down to 
culturally what's going on societally what's going on so so i think it feels like we've been in in an apocalypse for for like 15 years now i think ever since 9 11 it's there's been almost i mean every year there's been apocalyptic cinema coming out you know and and i think the the 90s when you look at it there there was almost nothing and uh, in fact the horror genre died a death as well in the 90s really uh, until possibly scream and postmodernism and all that but um but i think you know you've had your sort of zombies and uh uh, and that that was a massive movement, obviously, and uh, Walking Dead being such a big success. But I think I think now it's just it's just outright apocalypse. People have just forget the zombies. Like yeah. it's 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 actually just the you know the end is coming. And uh, yeah, so so I think it's it's in the air, isn't it? A little bit. Um, uh, I was just just saying um, off air again that I've just watched the trailer for Sandra Bullock film uh, Bird Box, which uh, is based on a novel and. Um, is having I think it's it's a Netflix release it's coming out very soon but I think it's one of those ones that they're going to put in a couple of cinemas so that they can make it eligible yeah. for for the for the awards and for the Oscars and it looks fantastic so the premise on that one is um, you know, it echoes of a quiet place where you couldn't make a noise in this one you can't look upon the monsters if you do you instantly are driven so in saying that you kill yourself um, so there's a there's a incredible sequence just in the trailer of her just blindfolding her kids and just trying to get across a forest uh, whilst no one can see and and they're all ringing bells to hear each other i'm, I'm quite excited about that and i don't mm. i'm normally terrified by the apocalypse i have to admit you know it all seems a little bit a little bit plausible to me but there we go uh, any favorite apocalypse for you tim <laughs> any favorite ways that the world may end um, I'll come back to you. I'm still thinking. I'm in the middle of tweeting about it right so now. If, oh, if, yeah. if you are interested in local apocalypses, the other thing I would suggest is reading the novel When the Floods Came by Claire Morrell, um, who book a prize winner for Astonishing Splashes of Colour has written a great a book about uh, what would happen if Birmingham became depopulated and the only living people left in Birmingham was a was one family living in a tower block in Quinton. Um the thing about it is, is, is it feels quite warm and, and fluffy for us because just they, they get to cycle down Aston Expressway and there's no one else there and the roads are clear. And I think we can, we've all fantasised about that on occasion. But anyway... anyway. I, think, I think the interesting thing is um, the way that the apocalypse has, has changed. It's like what's causing it has, has changed. I mean, obviously, you've got your sort of supernatural stuff and things like, like what was it, Bird? Was it Birdhouse and Bird Box, uh, Bird yeah. Box and uh, and Off Grid and and things like that are all um, you know supernatural apocalypses. But um, but there seems to be there used to be a obviously a lot of like nuclear um, apocalypse. Nuclear, uh, yeah. But yeah. but I think environmental is now the big thing, isn't yeah. it? It's, it? But it, also that's much more common now. Also, of course, you know, the, the Walking Dead is social unrest, is the mm. fear of the other, um, and these things. Def- you're absolutely right; they do reflect the time. I was just watching actually the remake of the Blob. Uh, part about the other day um, in the original 1950s you know it's a kind of the blob is a, some kind of you know atomic or alien invasion mm. um, and then in the 80s remake it's actually a sort of cold war bioweapon gone wrong and, it, and you're absolutely right these things very much reflect mm. our our kind of current fears so what, who knows what we're going to yeah. have next I, mean, I was thinking you know obviously I always tip a hat to silent running um, we always mentioned Soylent Green. Mm-hmm. You know, the environmental stuff was at prevalent in the seventies, wasn't it? You know, yeah, I think Soylent Green. It, it just know. feels horribly like now. You know, it, <laughs> yeah, it, has, it, it, it doesn't aged, look now it? when you watch it. It's 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 dated in, like that film, but I love that film. But the context the, is as the context so. of the world that they set in there is 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 just like round the corner. You can almost feel it. You know, the the the, the sort of um, overeating, over 
population or sort of, un, you know, under eating, I should say, um, you know, not enough food uh, to, you know, heat, you know. It, the, it's just, the, the novel um, it's based on, uh, Harry Harrison, um, I wish they'd stuck with the title for that, actually, because it's just, it's just called Make Room, Make Room. Which I think sums up the whole I'll, kind of. I was thinking that Wall, um, that Wall-E or, or, or kind of pays, pays homage to that that idea, isn't it? In the in the world that, that creates when they when they when the Wall-E ends up in that in space and everyone's fat and bloated, mm. and yeah, living that world. Um, I was thinking of every time I think of, I think I'm going back to our show and I was picking happy films, right? Happy cartoons rather than happy the, apocalypse. And then I threw in Children of Men just as a Children of Men. I, do a, you know what? Yeah, which is one of my favourite films. If you ever and, want um, to watch, if you ever want a film, just a kind of um, mini hit of kind of filmmaking genius, just like if, if you've got five minutes and you think, I want to see something fantastic, I watch thought, the car scene in that film. Astonishing. That, that whole take. There's a, yeah. there's a, if you haven't seen it, just go off on YouTube and find it. The car scene, Children of Men. They're in the car... Um, just, just having a kind of moment, you know, it's been, it's been unremitting grimness. There's a moment of levity and joy, and something happens, and it's all—I don't know—it's a one take. Yeah, it certainly it's, looks like it if it isn't, and it's phenomenal. It is. It's, it's extremely clever how they did it. Uh, I can't remember exactly how, but if you watch the making of, um, it, it's genius. Like, yeah. And that's so that 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 says film. a lot for the genius of Alfonso Cuarón that can go from Prisoner of Azkaban straight into that. Mm. Oh, it's just, it says something. Of, he's got such. Uh, Breath. It's great. It's great performances throughout as well. Very. I think. I think you know um, Clive Owen's best because he's. It's very naturalistic. When that happens in there, and they are the the stuff's happening. He's just does. He sounds exactly like a person would in that circumstance. Not kind of heroic and and saying clever things. Just terrified. Uh, Brilliant. Excellent. Yes. So yeah, we're we're going off on on a a (laughs) apocalyptic. uh, You can watch our end of the world show on. You can listen to it. No, you can listen to it. No, watch it. We're we're not yet. We're not yet a TV program. But um, Carl, you have to to head off. Show I know. Um, But what's next for Dark Matter Films? Obviously, you've got to finish off Grid and get that out there. Have yeah. you got anything else on the horizon? Yeah, so we've actually got um, Mark and I. I think have um, been in a bit of a uh, sort of creative, you know, spurge recently. We, so Mark's we, the writer. Mark's of... the writer. Yeah, and um, since since we met, we, we've got very similar sort of out- outlooks on things, uh, genres, films that we love, and, and our attitude to horror and things. So um, so we, we've come up with a whole slate of projects. We've got loads of them, and. Um, uh, I think feature-wise, uh, as well as off-grid, the feature, which is probably the most sort of obvious thing for us to go on to next, because of the the fact that it's got the momentum and the cast and everything. Um, we've we've also got a um, a, a werewolf film, uh, which I'm so excited about because we we have come up. I'm not I'm not exaggerating to say with the most original werewolf tra- and horrific werewolf transformation scene. People will be talking about it for years if we get this film made. It is it is brutal. So is this is this Rick Baker will will lie down in in awe? Well, they, it came out of a conversation on set <laughs> off grid where Stuart Comran, our, our makeup effects guy, we said to him, "What is there anything that you haven't done that you'd love to?" <laughs> and he basically said, "I want to do a werewolf." So we just said, "Right, let's let's come up with it." But um, but yeah, it's a it's a period werewolf movie, um, Celtic. Uh, Romans, uh, yeah, it's it's Ooh, Romans it's, versus werewolves. I'm loving this already. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, so, so that's I'm super excited about that one, and uh, and we've got a um, a sci-fi film which is uh, primarily set inside a single giant battle tank. Uh, that is um, a kind of there's a twist that eventually takes you out of the um, out of the tank, but the, but it is effectively sort of das boot in a big sci-fi tank um, in space. It's it's on a yeah. It's a, you don't really find out a lot. You 
sort of thrown into this. You're one. in a tank. You're behind enemy lines. You're in a giant sort of, uh, you know, think 40k, 140k kind of giant space tank. You know, and, and so a tank uh, with separate rooms. So we got yeah, a little bit of bit big enough for the camera to move around, but but uh, tight enough to make it quite claustrophobic. Oh. And um, that's that's basically sort of ready to go. So so if if none of those get going, we've got another short as well, uh, which is a fantasy um, uh, heart of darkness journey into a forest between a squire and a knight and uh, and stuff happens um, you know so so yeah yeah we've got we've got quite a varied uh, slate of stuff it's all very sort of genre based but that's that's what we want to do so. so I mean that's that's the kind of the uh, the mission statement behind dark matter films is genre sci-fi horror is yeah, that, is that what you always watch? Is that your? Yeah, yeah. We say, uh, yeah, we're we're poking the uh, dark corners of the universe where no one wants to look. You know, that's that's, that's a nice, idea. almost a tagline there, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, lots of people I want like to look. Use, the use of poking is a good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more right. more poking should be done. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Um, okay, well, we're very excited. So, um, one more thing. Do let everyone know. Remind us how we can get our behind uh, off grid. Uh, yeah, great. So um, if you go to our social media accounts, uh, that's probably the easiest way. Um, we've, we've been tweeting a, and talking about it a lot. Um, Instagram is at Dark Matter Films, um, at Dark Matter Films for Twitter, and at Dark Matter Films UK for Facebook. And uh, yeah, please do support this um, crowdfunder so we can get this film out and, and uh, finished as soon as possible. And any amount counts, right? We're not we're not looking for two hundred fifty grand. Yeah, that's right. So, so our, our target is five grand, which would give us all the money we need to to cover all of our post production costs that are left. Um, the uh, but Indiegogo is not like Kickstarter. It's not a tar- you do have a target, but you keep whatever you raise. So, so literally everything we raise is going into the film. So, so every amount counts. Um, we don't have to hit the target to do that. So. Fantastic. So, if you want to see the shining ones fully shining uh if you, one of the one of the great things is that you won't get to see it any other way well for the next couple of years unless you're off At to least. the off to the you know minnesota film festival where i'm sure it will be winning <laughs> the palm de minnesota um then 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 do sign up for it and uh, similarly if you do get to to have a look at still um, that is still available online, and the money from there will go to paying the the, the proof from still. That's right. Uh, but you mentioned, I think you were very proud before that this was you know it's a fully professional production. You had everyone got paid on on this, and it's a, a fully kind of. Well, that was that was that, that was, was where we that, that was our plan. I mean, we set out saying everyone gets paid, but uh, but unfortunately, you know, we, we we fell quite short on our in the first campaign. Um, everyone was was amazing and, and kind of worked for for peanuts really. But um, but we're, we're everything. You know, it's like everything. We've we've got agreements with people if it does well, and and I'm hoping with this one with the cast that there is actually some commercial potential. The rule is always you never make money from shorts, but it'd be nice to disprove that. Um, and if we do, then we can we can pay people back and uh, you know reward them for their for their belief. In well, we're, we're certainly um, very excited about it. We really like the trailer. I'm looking forward to seeing the film. I'm looking forward to seeing it soon, by the sound of things, in the next few months. So, um, yeah, if you have got a few pounds uh, to spare and you are feeling flush, it is the, uh, the the last, you know, you won't be feeling flush for the next couple of months. You've got Christmas coming, mm. so get it done now. Uh, support uh, Off Grid. We really think so. We're really, we're really pleased uh, to be uh, to be able to help you out with that one, we really liked still, um, and um, we hope that uh, you know we, we hope to see it soon. Yeah. Um, uh, let's play some more music, and uh, we'll be back after this. Moon River, why 
Uh, everyone knows what that was, Moon River, Audrey Hepburn. But Carl uh, Timms is leaving us. Yeah, sad to go. <laughs> Sorry, you've, got, you've got films to make, scripts to doctor. Job to not be fired from. Job to not be fired from. The glamour, the glamour <laughs> of filmmaking. Thank you so much. That's Carl Josbury of Dark Matter Films. Look forward to seeing you again. Carl Timms, even. <laughs> Why do I keep, what am I doing? Yeah, it's fine. Okay, everyone's Carl's wrong. Oh, I hello, apologize. Carl Josbury, if you're watching. Um, <laughs> it wasn't you. Carl Timms. Thank you for coming in. Carl. Yeah, cheers, guys. Speak See you again soon. soon. Thanks Bye-bye. a lot. Bye now. Um, there we are. Apologies for to Carl for getting his name wrong. I'm getting everyone's name wrong today. I've just basically been slightly um, slightly blown away by the uh, the quality of our guests. We've had Mark Silk on earlier, a uh, man of uh, maybe not a thousand voices because that's Mel Blanc, but you know, 872 voices, I would say. At any one time, you mean? Yeah, wow, amazing. I, I, I cannot stress enough how odd it is to, to actually hear all the, the, it's the changing, isn't it? It's like, I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something else, I'm going to do something, and like that, be able to, be able to change them you know, without thinking almost. Yeah. I mean, it's the thing that always impresses me most, is the ability of guys like that can, to switch between voices mm. you know, when they're doing actual yeah, um, middle of it. sessions. Um, but, but that is a great thing about it. I think when you see a performer of any kind actually doing something, you realise, particularly acting, sometimes I think there is a sense that you think, well, what are they doing, you know? Uh, and when you actually see that, I imagine being on, su- on set, you know, like Carl was watching Alison Stedman, you know, being Alison Stedman and then suddenly being someone else like that and then someone interrupting them and them having to start again. It's amazing to watch. It's, it's something when you watch a, a, an actor do something like that. I think it's fantastic. And the bit that was the bit that you guys will never get to see um, is how Mark Silk uses his um, keeps it's the distances between the microphone as well. Yeah, that's the impressive bit. It's not just the ability to do voices, but he knows exactly where to position his head in relation to the mic to get across the the timbre and the tone and the and the mood of what he's doing, and that is very impressive to do that. Yeah, you know, most people just glue their heads to the front of the mic, uh, and he was just all over. He was, yeah, it's, a, it's yeah, an it was, it was object rocking. lesson for us here yeah. in the studio having having someone, let's face it, a little bit more professional than us. I don't think that's doing us down too much to say. Well, that, maybe on this show, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, we're, 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 we're getting better. We're, 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 we're learning there. our art. Exactly. This is what we're doing. It's work in progress. And we art. are. I've called it our art. There you are. Yeah. That is a little yeah, bit pretentious. Um, but we're really grateful for you. You at home are part of that as well. I know that sounds, that sounds like a sort of platitude, but it's true. We really love hearing from you. We really love it when people let us know what they're doing while they're listening to the show. So you still have a few minutes left. You can tweet us at Screen Broom. Let us know what you're doing. Let us know what you think of the show. Um, whilst we are here, whilst we're talking about the show, I want to talk to you about a few things that we've got coming up as well. Because we've got a little bit, you know, this is not over for us this year. We, are, we had three weeks off um, for administrative reasons, brackets, Tim's birthday. I went away. He went to Portugal. Was it nice? It was lovely. Yeah. Do you know, it was actually T-shirt weather on uh, Monday. It was 17, 18 degrees. It was so blue and bright. Mm. Uh, another climate down there. Yeah, and then I came back here and it was dark. I know, but, you know, we've got... And I was thinking of, you know, this is appropriate place to do dark matter film material. Exactly. They don't, I mean, Couldn't do it in Lisbon. It's too bright. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's going to be about So we have been off for a while, but we are going to be back uh, in a week. So you don't have to wait even three weeks. So in one week's time... We are going to be back here at the same time, 12 till 2 on Brum Radio, where we're going to be joined by Joseph Oldham. Who's he? Joseph Oldham. I'm glad you asked him. Joseph Oldham is, uh, he's written a book, uh, he's a film academic, and he's written a book, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it is about paranoid conspiracy thrillers, specifically British TV paranoid conspiracy. We're going to have a lot of fun next week. So um, we're going to be having a special on that. So yeah. get in there. Think about you know. Think about those sweaty, paranoid, terrifying films and TV. Let us know what you think. I think it's going to be a really good one. So yeah, that's a week from now, which is the seventh of December, and then in uh, just two weeks after that, it's our Christmas party. Yay. We're having a Christmas party, and you're all invited. So. We're, our theme is basic. It's a Christmas party. We're going to play Christmas party music. We're going to talk about our favourite Christmas films and what we like to do at Christmas. But we want you to join in as well. So, uh, you know, if you have a Christmas favourite Christmas film or a favourite Christmas viewing habit or tradition, let us know what that is. Uh, and also, if you want to, come along, frankly. We're going to be here in the Warehouse Cafe in the heart of Digbeth. We're on Allison Street and we're going to open our doors. You can come in. Well, we'll probably have a few mince pies on the go. Yeah. It's kind of what um, we do anyway. Yeah, we always exactly. have food on the go here. Um, so you can come along uh, and say hello. And uh, you never know. You never know. You might even get to meet Tim Wilson. I know. This is, I, know. Uh, I mean, yeah. this is. I mean, I mean obviously you, know, you can't touch him. Don't get carried away. No, you're not allowed to touch yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. We don't, you know, we're not, you know, he's not, you know. He's, just, he's, he's, he's down to earth, but not that down to earth, you know. But as long as you stay within a certain distance and don't, don't make eye contact, that's the other thing I'd say. You know, that, you know, next week you're talking about sweaty and paranoid thrillers. I'm feeling that right now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> so you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we'll, we'll play a little bit more music before we sign off. And um, let's play uh, some of the classic uh, soundtrack. Bernard Herrmann. Sorry. Bernard Herman. Bernard Herman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bernard Herman uh, soundtrack from uh, this is the overture from uh, North by Northwest, which I'm sure you know. Great, right? Fantastic. See you shortly. The 
there we have the overture from can you are you all picturing a biplane swooping down upon you that's from of course north by northwest the alfred hitchcock classic we've come to the end of the show guys um it's been an action-packed one i've had a great time what about you tim we've packed those hours we have. with not much work from either of us which is great we just let the other people talk today it is it's quite relaxing it's quite relaxing well i don't know i would say relaxing i was slightly terrified watching mark because it was exhausting just watching him just go and his mind working a million fold i had to work hard not to crack up all the time yeah thank you for your tweets uh feathers and wings has a, a, enjoyed listening to Mark Silk. She, she loves his real voice as well as all his other ones. Does he have a real voice? Or is it's it like Sir Anthony Hopkins, isn't it? Yeah. What is Sir Anthony Hopkins' real voice? <laughs> Does he do it? <laughs> um, so, so thank you, Feathers and Wings. Thanks for your tweets. Uh, Feathers and Wings said Mark is brilliant, and uh, they are currently eating cakes and Waitrose, so there's a lot of it about. Yes, this, this is the middle class film show. <laughs> That's right. We, we've, we've not only got Waitrose uh, cakes here, Feathers and Wings, we've also got... M&S chocolates. M&S chocolates. <laughs> so, la-di-da. If ever there was an incentive to come to the Christmas special, there you go. Yeah. We can't cakes. promise we'll add them then. Though. Yeah, absolutely. We'll go to Lidl for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone. Well, thank you so much. We'll see you in a week's time. Just a week's time. What happened there? I went away. My you fault. went away. In a week's time, we'll be back. So, um, love to hear, lovely to hear from you all. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll play you out with Alex Turner's Pile Driver Waltz from the film Submarine. Have a great weekend. Two pip. Bye. Thanks for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please consider joining our listener supporters. You can do this by clicking the support tab on our website will go direct to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio. Brum Radio shows are streamed online at the Brum Radio Mixcloud page and you can find more podcasts at brumradio.com.